My name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.restoredtemecula.church, um, and then click on contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores, and through that app you can see past um, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, so with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Um, just to kind of reiterate and echo what Herrick and Kevin and Kelsey are, were talking about with this, um, this idea of really in an intentional way, continuing to install the value of renewal into our gospel communities. What this looks like practically is it, it we're going to be building out a process where we can work together and collaborate into how we can practically meet the needs of vulnerable people in our communities. Okay, and so I'm thrilled about this. This is, this is something that we've been praying for for years, and I feel like God's starting to really give us vision about how, like I said, to roll this out and implement this, and so more information in the weeks and months to come, but genuinely thrilled about this. Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing on in our series, The King and His Kingdom, where we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's eyewitness account of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, his ministry, the way he operated, the way he worked. And, and we're not just going through this series, just, okay, let's, let's read through it and what is it, what's highlighted. We're going through this series specifically through the lenses of, of how can we learn as much as we can about the King, Jesus, and his kingdom what his rule and reign looks like. So in other words, what does it look like when God gets his way? That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of God. The day is coming when the kingdom of heaven will be fully realized for those who, are, who, who trust in Jesus, right? That's, that's heaven, right? You go there after you die, all the things. But the kingdom of heaven, it, it, it's not just something that we want to give ourselves over to after we die, no. Jesus came preaching. He said the kingdom of heaven is near. Like, there's the reality that we live in what theologians talk about. They, they, they refer to as the already not yet. So it's like the inauguration of the kingdom. It's, it's here in many ways, but it's not yet fully realized. And so we've been going through the scriptures, specifically in Matthew, around this concept we want to learn as much as we can about the king and what his kingdom is like. And so we're going to do that this morning for the sake of time. I'm going to jump right in. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 this morning. Matthew chapter 9. And before I read God's word, I want to pray and ask for God's help. So if you wouldn't mind, join me. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, we invite you to teach us this morning. Oh God, don't let, us, don't let us lose sight of the fact that you are present. We can do all sorts of things on a Sunday morning, but if your presence isn't primary, we are just spinning our wheels, not going anywhere. So right now, we just acknowledge your presence with us and within us. Father, thank you for the ways you guide us and direct us. We ask you to do more of that this morning. And Holy Spirit, show us Jesus. 
Help us to see Jesus more clearly. We love you. And we ask these things in your name and all God's people said, amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter nine, starting in verse 18, I'm gonna read through verse 26 and then I'll, I'll talk at you for a little bit. Uh, Matthew chapter nine, verse 18. As he, the he there is Jesus, was telling them these things, now really quickly, um, that these things, if you remember from last week, Jesus is in the middle of teaching people. And if you remember, he's talking to them about patching an old garment, right, with an unshrunk cloth, and, he, and he's talking to them about how sometimes, like, if, you, if, you need, if you're going to make new wine, you need new wineskins. If you want to, you can listen to last week's message. But that's what he's doing. As he was telling them these things, it's, he's teaching them about those things. So as he's in the middle of teaching, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down before him saying, my daughter just died. Can we just feel the weight of that statement for a second? I have two daughters. I don't even want to go there, okay? He knelt down before him saying, my daughter just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. He's teaching, it gets, the guy comes, they go and they follow, okay? Verse 20, just then, so they're now on the way. Just then, a woman who had suffered from bleeding, she's hemorrhaging, for 12 years, approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. For she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter, he said. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well from that moment. Verse 23. When Jesus came to the leader's house, remember, he's on his way to this house and he has that encounter with the bleeding woman. When he gets to the house, he saw flute players and a crowd lamenting loudly. So just to give you some context, he basically shows up mid-funeral, okay? People are mourning, the band, the, the flute, all the things are happening. So Jesus shows up essentially mid-funeral. Verse 24, leave, he said, because the girl is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl got up. Then news of this spread throughout the whole area. Okay, um, I say this often, so forgive me for sounding like a broken record, but there's so much in this passage. This is a really famous passage, okay? And one of the reasons it's famous is because there's so much stuff inside of it. This passage, it shows up in all three of the synoptic gospels. And if you're like, what's the synoptic gospels? There's four gospel accounts, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's is unique in many ways. And so they refer to Matthew, Mark, and Luke as the synoptic gospels. And oftentimes there's some, there's some crossover. So there's, there's, there's testimonies and stories about, about what Jesus did that kind of show up in multiple synoptic gospels. This is one of them. It shows up in all three, right? So you have, you have Matthew, the author of Matthew, goes, this is really important. People need to know this. So he, he takes the time to write it out. 
Mark, oftentimes, people, most scholars think that that was written by, like, uh, ultimately, Peter wrote that through, like, a scribe, but, but Peter thought it was, it was worthy enough that people got to know this, so it shows up in, in Mark, and then in Luke, Luke writes it, and people got to know this, it, so it showed up in multiple, I should say, all three of these synoptic Gospels. It's a famous passage, and I believe that it's one of the reasons it's so famous is because there's just so much that we can learn from it about the king and his kingdom. And so for the sake of time this morning, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna focus on three things for you. That's it. So if you're taking notes, the first thing that I wanna talk about here is Jesus is interruptible. He's interruptible. Look back at verse 18. It, it starts out, it says, as he was telling them these things. So as Jesus is like teaching about the new wineskins, he's teaching and he's interrupted by the man whose daughter had just passed away. Now, we know from other accounts of this story, this man's name was Jairus. Okay, so I'm going I'm to refer to him as Jairus. It doesn't show up in, his, his name doesn't show up in our passage here in Matthew, but we know that from other passages. So he's teaching. Jairus shows up, interrupts him, tells him about his daughter, right? And not only that, in verse 20, he's on the way to go help Jairus and his daughter, and, and then the bleeding woman interrupts him. And, and here's why I bring this up, is because it's more than noteworthy how Jesus responds to being interrupted. Like, he's not like, hey, I got something to do. Can you talk to my, my assistants? They'll get you, like, whatever. Look at how he responds to being interrupted. I can't speak for you, but I can confess, I'm not a huge fan of being interrupted. Um, everybody in this room you survived 2020 and all of the bananas, bonkers, craziness that it was with COVID. One of, I think, that the, the most remarkable things about that time that we all survived was that we were stuck in our homes. And many of you, you work fairly stressful jobs. I remember having to work from home and all of my family is home and we love each other. Like we, we get along great most of the time. Like we really value each other. <laughs> and maybe you can relate to this. I would be like on Zoom calls or FaceTime calls or the phone and it's like the CNN interview or the Fox interview where like the kid comes behind and you have no idea they're there and they're like, that would happen so many times. And it got to the point where I was like, guys, I love you. Please just pretend that daddy's not here. Just pretend that I'm not here because there would be consistent interruptions. And like, this be candid, like that's really hard. Pretend that I'm not here, it doesn't really go very far. When your kids are there and they're trying to learn, they have online school or they have the things that they need, it's just a challenge. But what's interesting is my dislike for being interrupted, it, 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 I'd like to think it was just limited to the year 2020, uh, but it's not. I think one of the reasons why I really don't like being interrupted is that at least the way that I'm wired is it, 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 it tends to kind of set off a chain reaction for me, okay? Like, what I mean by that is I start to get behind on a lot of things. Got a lot of stuff going on. Got a lot of things I need to do, a lot of things I need to accomplish, and I need to do it in a certain amount of time, right? So even something is like what I'm doing now, like I'm gonna I preach most Sundays, and so I, there's a, there's a, the clock is ticking in terms of when I'm going to get that done. And not just with that, but a lot of other things that are, are my responsibility in life. And so if someone interrupts what I'm doing, my mind goes, crap, this is going to start the snowball effect of, 
Now I'm going to, okay, if you interrupt this, it means I'm going to get behind on this and then I'm going to be, and that's going to affect the next thing and then affect the next thing and then affect the next thing. And the next thing I know, I start to get really kind of like a little bit anxious and I'm like, I don't like being interrupted because of what it's going to do to my comfort. I'm probably the only one in the room that thinks that way. And, and here's what I want to say to you. And, and maybe you're, maybe honestly, maybe you're way more mature than me in this area. Like, God bless you, awesome. But for me, and maybe some of you can relate, being interrupted oftentimes leads me to feeling overwhelmed because there's so many things to do and they're all important things. And when you interrupt me in my important things, now it's a snowball effect and the next thing I know, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. And I saw that play out in 2020 in a really profound way that I hadn't quite seen prior to in my life. So needless to say, I'm not the most interruptible person. How about you? Like for you in your life, how interruptible are you? If you're really honest, if you have a true assessment of your, your reality, and I don't say this to condemn you, I just want you to get a pulse on your life. How interruptible are you? This is really convicting for me, friends. Thinking about this, this, this reality that Jesus is interruptible, it's convicting to me because I'm a disciple of Jesus. Right? A disciple, we talk about this often, but a re- review for you. A disciple is someone who's learning. Disciple means learn. It's someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every single area of their life. Operate like Jesus, right? And Jesus is interruptible. But I'm like looking at my life, I'm like, I'm actually not that interruptible of a person, especially with certain people. Jesus is interruptible. That means I should be too. But one of the things I think is really important for us to like really get here is that this means something. Jesus being interruptible isn't just like, oh, that's cool. Like it means something. And what it means is it's profound. It, It means that God never gets overwhelmed. He, hear me, he never gets overwhelmed. I do. We do, don't we? God is never overwhelmed. Think about that for just one second. God never gets overwhelmed. Uh, Hebrews chapter one, verse three says this. The son, who's that? Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now, listen. Jesus, he reveals to us what God is like. One of the main reasons that God put on flesh as a man is to reveal what God is like in a way that we could comprehend and understand. Are you tracking with me? So, I mean, look, it says, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Colossians 1 says he's the image of the invisible God. So so if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, and it will become more and more clear to you the character of God. Jesus is interruptible, therefore God is interruptible. You with me? 
That means there's never a time that you can't go to him. Like, pull the thread on this one for a little while, guys. There's never a time when you can't go to him. He's interruptible. He doesn't get overwhelmed. And it means there's never a time that he gets overwhelmed. Uh, That means that he can handle anything that you bring to him. Like anything. The big things in life. The things that are weighing heavily on you. You can bring them to him. Even the small things, like the littlest, small, seemingly insignificant things, you can bring those to him too. You can bring your doubts to him. Um, Youth in the room. Every single person who's ever attempted to be a disciple of Jesus has gone through various seasons of doubt. Did you know you can bring your doubts to him? He can handle that. It doesn't overwhelm him. You can bring your dreams to him. You can bring your deepest desires to him. You can bring your fears to him, your worries to him, your anxieties to him. No matter what it is, hear me, please. He can handle it. And not only can he handle it, but he invites it. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary. Come on, come to me. In John chapter seven, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and have a drink. Jesus can handle the weariness of the world. Jesus can handle the thirsts of the entire world. Every single one that, every single one of us, every single thirst, every single desire, every single element of weariness, he can handle it. And not only can he handle it, he invites it. I know this happens in my life, but I think we forget just how holy and how magnificent he really is. I love that it says that he upholds the entire universe with his words. He's that powerful. God never gets overwhelmed. And because he's patient and because he's loving and because he's kind, he's interruptible. Not only can he handle it, he invites it. Um, The next thing I want to talk about, my second point, is that there's no limit to God's power. There's absolutely no limit to God's power. Now, if you've been journeying with us through this series in Matthew, so far we've seen Jesus do all sorts of really powerful things. We've seen him tell storms to stop and they do. We've seen him deliver people from demonic possession. It's intense. We've seen him do a bunch of miraculous healing, right? He's healed all sorts of brokenness just in Matthew alone. He's healed paralytics. He's healed um, those that were sick with various diseases and infections and fevers and illnesses. We've seen him heal lepers, the seemingly impo- like the seemingly incurable skin disease. We've seen Jesus display his power in incredible ways just in Matthew alone. But here, in this passage today, for the very first time, we see Jesus heal this young girl from death. From death. This is either true or it's not true. Can we agree on that? This is wild. He heals this young girl from death. Listen, it's one thing to heal a disease. It's like, wow, power. Dude, it's another thing to heal death. 
And like, listen, like nothing against Jesus' other healings. I'm not trying to downplay his power or anything like that, but, but this healing is different. This healing is very different. And the reason it's very different is because nothing hurts like death. The reason nothing hurts like death is because we think it's final. Like, like, like once death happens, the period is then placed at the end of the sentence and it's, it's done. That's why death hurts so much. And listen, this room, every single one of us has been, um, has been negatively affected by death. You felt the sting. A friend of mine lost his dad this week. Like, every single one of us, you've felt the pain, somebody close, a family member, a friend. You never get used to that, huh? I don't. I can't tell you how many calls in the last 20-ish, almost 20 years of ministry, calls. Someone informed me, okay, someone someone's has passed away. Sometimes tragically, sometimes unforeseen, sometimes after a long battle, all the things. It's never normal. It's never like, oh, okay. It's always like the gut punch. Oh, oh yeah. We live as though death is final, as though death gets the final word. But Jesus shows us something, doesn't he? Jesus shows us that's not true. Death doesn't get the final word. Jesus shows us death does not get the final word. He does. He gets the final word. Jesus is more powerful, friends, than even death. I don't want us to gloss over this. Oh, cool, he healed another person. That one's pretty spectacular. No, 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 he's more powerful than even death. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? And what's remarkable is this isn't even the last time that God's gonna display his power over death. If you read Luke chapter seven, he, he raises the widow's son after the widow's son dies. And you know the famous story of Lazarus, right? In John 11, Jesus' close friend, he goes into the tomb after he'd been there for several days and he raises him back to life. So he doesn't, this isn't just like a one-off event. And then, obviously, you know, we're Christians, we believe that Jesus himself was raised from the dead, right? The cornerstone of the gospel, Jesus crucified, and then three days later, defeating death, rising from the dead. And I was praying, actually, this morning for this, because I was like, ah, oh, death's always a really touchy thing to talk about. It's always that, like, oh, I don't like it. But I felt like God had something for some of us. Specifically with this, I feel like God wants to remind us of some things. I feel like there's some of us in the room that God, he wants to remind some of us that there's no limit to his power. You've been beat down, you've experienced a lot of brokenness, maybe you're in a season of just feeling like numb and exhausted from the amount of brokenness that you and your loved ones and the people around you are experiencing, and I feel like God wants to like lovingly encourage you and remind you, there's no limit to his power. There's no limit to his power. I know that there's areas of brokenness in your life, right? There's no limit to his power. 
we were talking about it earlier today with this with, with renewal. Guys, God is on a mission, and he has been ever since sin entered the world. He's on a mission to redeem everything, to, to, to restore everything, okay? And listen, he's never throwing in the towel. Like, he's not going to stop. There's no stopping him. It's not a matter of if he redeems and restores something. It's a matter of when. And so can I just, I feel like God wants to encourage some of us in the room. In the brokenness that you're facing, there's no limit to his power. And I have one more point for us this morning. Like I said, there's a lot in this passage, right? There's miraculous healing. There's faith. There's so many different things we could talk about. There's the, Jesus goes, your faith has saved you to this woman, right? There's God's, limit, God's limitless power. There's the reality that God's interruptible, right? That he's never overwhelmed. But I'd like to propose something to you. I'd like to propose that as much as this passage is about all of those things, it's just as much about evangelism. It's just as much about evangelism. Please hear me. This is my last point, and we're going to spend some time here. There's a reason that these people sought Jesus out. Because someone told them about Jesus. So, somebody mentioned to them, somebody referred them to Jesus, right? So let's just think about the synagogue leader, Jairus, right? So he has this terrible thing happen in his life, about as bad as it could be. And somebody in his life cared enough about him to say, hey, Jairus, I, have you heard about Jesus? He can help with that. I've seen him. I've seen him do it. The bleeding woman, we know from other, again, this, shows up in, this story shows up in all three synoptic gospels. We know that this woman, not only, that in this passage, it tells us she was suffering for 12 years. In another passage, it says that she tried basically everything. She tried, like, to get, like, she's been struggling with this for over a decade. She's tried every doctor, every medication, every single thing, and it's not working. And somebody in her life cared enough about her to say, hey, have you heard about Jesus? He can help with that. So these people, in a time of need, they get referred to Jesus, basically. And then what do they do? They go seek out Jesus. They seek out Jesus. They even interrupt Jesus. And then what happens? They encounter him. And when I say encounter, not just like, oh, they saw him at a distance and he's ministering to people. No, 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 no. They seek him out, they interrupt him, and they encounter his grace. They encounter his holiness, his power. Um, so I'm wearing a pair of Levi's jeans. Have you guys ever like heard the story, the origin story around Levi's? It's actually kind of fascinating. So <clears throat> I think it was 1873, is what it says in my notes at least. Levi Strauss starts making these denim jeans. And like, cool, whatever, they're jeans, you know, guys, guys and girls working hard, they need, they need you know, tough work clothes and stuff. 
But Levi's went on to become like the most successful gene company that there ever was. And what happened was the catalyst for their success in getting their genes into the, onto the legs of, of, of a large number of people was what they did was they set up two horses. This is back in 1873 or so. They set up two horses and they, put, they, they tied each horse to a pair of jeans. And they did this publicly, right? So it's like you can imagine they're in the town square or whatever, wherever they were. They tie up the horse to the jeans and they go and the horses run and it doesn't break the jeans. So it's like, you know, the, the infomercials on TV where some guy's like cutting a, he's sawing into like a boat and then he puts a piece of tape on it and then it floats again. And everyone's like, that tape's a miracle. I have to buy that tape. Like that was the beginning of this, right? Levi Strauss going, hey, these jeans, they will not break. Not even the horses can, can tear these jeans apart. Everyone's like, I've never seen anything like this. I have to have these jeans. So this is like, this is like, incredibly successful marketing, is it not? It's world-class, brilliant marketing before social media, before the internet. There's probably only, I don't know, let's just be, let's be generous, maybe a hundred or a few hundred or a thousand people that saw that happen, and the next thing you know, Levi's go on to be the most desired, everyone wants a pair of Levi's because they're the unbreakable gene. Everyone heard about Levi's. Everyone wanted a, prayer, a pair. Do you guys realize Christianity in the West is in like massive decline? Like not just like, oh man, the graph is going down. It's falling off a cliff in the West. Not in other parts of the world. In our part of the world. Most people just aren't interested they're busy having fun. They're busy entertaining themselves. They're busy, busy kind of numbing themselves from the brokenness in life through various means that they have access to, right? Here's my question for you. Are we content with that? Are we content with just like a, not just a steady, but like a falling off the cliff decline in Christianity? I know we're not, right? So my question then is, what's gonna be the catalyst to change that? Like, do we need this brilliant marketing strategy like Levi's had? Here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that many Christians, they think in order to evangelize, right? In order to evangelize, they need to be experts in marketing Christianity. How do we make it seem cool and appealing to that people group and that people group and that people group? I, okay, for me to evangelize, I gotta have all the answers to the questions that they might pose. Like, I gotta be an expert, you know, apologetic, an expert in apologetics. I gotta, I gotta have all my theology just like totally down. Like, I gotta know it all. I gotta have all the answers. I gotta be this, I gotta be really capable of presenting Christianity in a light that's really appealing to people because if not, they're gonna reject it and they're gonna reject me and it's just like, I probably should just bow out because I'm not those things. Friends, Jesus doesn't need world-class marketing. All he needs is a witness. All 
all he needs is a witness. Have you heard about Jesus? Maybe you have, but I'm here to tell you, he can help with that. I've seen him do it. Guys, that's what it means to be a Christian witness. It doesn't mean that you're an expert, brilliant marketer of Christianity. It doesn't mean that you're an expert apologetic, uh, an expert in apologetics. It doesn't mean that you, you ha- all of your theology is the most robust of anybody you know. It doesn't mean any of that. It literally just means I've seen him do things and I'm referring people to him. Oh, have you heard about Jesus? He can help with that. I've seen him do it. Like, think about it. Okay, your, your friend or your neighbor, somebody in your life, and they're, they're, they're struggling in their marriage. Oh, have you heard about Jesus? He can help with that. I've seen him do it. Somebody in your life, your friend or your neighbor, they're, having really, they're, they're struggling with their health. Hey, have, have you heard about Jesus? He, he can help with that. I've seen him do it like someone in your life, maybe, God forbid, battling addiction, and maybe not just one of the scandalous addictions, maybe, my phone's, maybe the scroll addiction, like I can't stop, and like I'm, I'm not paying attention to my family, and like next thing I know, my hobby in life is scrolling to get the dopamine hit. A friend or a, somebody close to you, a neighbor, whatever, and they're like, gosh, I can't, I'm really struggling with my phone, or I'm really struggling with some substance, or I'm a pill, or whatever. Have you heard about Jesus? He can help with that. I've seen him do it. Anxiety, depression, loneliness. Have you heard about Jesus? He can help with that. I've seen him do it. Something as simple as like a neighbor or a friend is just like, I don't know. I I need direction. I need wisdom in my life. I think about you youth as you come to the end of high school and you're like, hey, what's this next phase look like for me? Have you, have you heard about Jesus? He can help with that. I've seen him do it. You struggle with anger. You struggle with lust. You struggle with, with pride. You struggle with gossip. You struggle with anything in life where you're like, ah, I'm doing this and it's not that beneficial for me, but I'm, I'm having a hard time. St-. Have you heard about Jesus? He can help with that. I've seen him do it. Someone cared enough about these people in this passage to refer them to Jesus. Dude, have you heard about Jesus? He can help with that. I've seen him do it. What if we lived that way? What What if we didn't focus as much on marketing Jesus in brilliant ways And what if we just witnessed? Do you know that no one can really argue with you when you're like, like I remember we had a GC leaders meeting and I used this one for a while. And just long story short, Dorian got miraculously healed that night. It was was spectacular. It was awesome. Someone who's got a health issue, hey, have you heard about Jesus? He can help with that. I've seen him do it. Let me tell you about my friend Dorian. Like, it just happened, like, a, a few months ago, whatever. They're not going to say, well, tell me about, the, tell me why does God let bad, bad things happen to good people? I'm like, I don't know. But I, let me tell you about G. Like, this happened. I witnessed it. I saw it. He can help with you, too. I felt like, I felt like the Lord gave me this one this week, too. 
What if instead of about, like, what if instead of gossiping about, like, relational drama, what if we gossiped about Jesus? Like, one of the things that happens in our culture all the time is, like, when someone sees you, like, there's, like, the, the canned, hey, what's up? How's it going? And more often than not, than not people aren't actually asking you how you're doing. They're just being kind. They're being courteous. But instead of like, what if someone that was striking up a conversation or an engagement with you, what if it was less about, well, yeah, you know, this is happening and if you read the news about this and da-da-da-da-da, all the kind of like relational drama that we just tend to feel like we need to vent about. What if instead of that, we're like, dude, I saw a miracle this week. I saw, some, I saw my friend get healed. Or like, dude, Jesus is doing things in my marriage that's incredible. Like I've been viewing my spouse in like such a selfish way. I find myself, like I find myself yielding to Jesus and taking on the role of a servant more. It's crazy, man. Like even if it's not directly what Jesus is doing in you, but like, like I used during that story, like I didn't get healed, but guess what? I saw it happen. Like, even if it's not you who gets healed, you're still a witness, right? So I can still gossip about Jesus to my friends for the ways that he's working in other people's lives in my life. My marriage, my anxiety. Dude, I'm feeling more and more freedom from anxiety. This is incredible. Do you know who the world's leading expert is in, in when what you've witnessed Jesus do? You. News channels will like beam people in from like satellite feed going like, hey, we have this expert on you know, epidemiology who's gonna tell you what to do with COVID. We have this expert on you know, uh, foreign relations and what's happening in the Middle East. This expert is here to tell. Do you realize if someone wanted like an account of how you have experienced, how you have witnessed Jesus move in your life and the lives of other people, you are the world's leading expert. You really matter. Your perspective, your voice matters. Your experience, it matters. What if we gossiped about Jesus? And somebody might say, yeah, Tom, well, that's cool and that sounds fine, but like, Jesus doesn't always heal the sickness, bro. Like, Jesus doesn't always heal the sickness. Sometimes the marriage, sometimes it falls apart. Sometimes anxiety, you know, sometimes it lingers. And sometimes, you know, the brokenness, it's not healed in an instant, bro. That's true. That's true. Please hear me. Jesus doesn't always heal but he always helps. Every single time. He doesn't always heal, but he always helps. Do you know, the Holy Spirit, we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Bible's clear about the Holy Spirit, it's the third person of the Trinity, it's no less God than the Father or the Son. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Your interactions with Jesus, anybody seen Jesus in the flesh? I know people who have, but that's, that's, that's not common. Your and my interactions with Jesus are through his spirit more often than not. 
at work in you, at work around you, at work in the people that you're sitting around. That same spirit of Jesus is referred to as the helper in the Bible. The helper. Do you realize that God desires to help you? God desires to help your friends, your neighbors, your children, the people around you. He desires to help. He desires to help us in our brokenness. Friend, where do you go with your brokenness? Where do you go with your brokenness? Where do you refer others to go with their brokenness? I, just, I saw this, I've been seeing this therapist and it's changing my life. You should go see a therapist. I've got nothing against therapy. It's, it can be life-changing. Hey, you gotta get your physical health in order. Like there's reality where chemical things happen. And, you know, okay, cool. I'm not against that too. That's we're holistic creatures. It's important. Where do you go with your brokenness? And where do you refer others to go? There's a reason that people in this passage sought Jesus out, and it's because someone told them about Jesus. Somebody told them about Jesus. Jesus doesn't need world-class marketing. He's just looking for a witness. Have you heard about Jesus? He can help with that. I've seen him do it in my friend Sonny, in my friend Kevin, in my brother Mark. I've seen it, like... He can help. So hear me, as much as this passage is about healing and faith and God's limitless power, it's as much or more about evangelism. Look at the way the passage ends. Verse 26. All this stuff goes down, right? You have these two people who are in severely their brokenness. Someone cared enough about them to refer them to Jesus. Jesus can help with that. And then he, they go, they have an encounter, they do. God, or Jesus does, and it's amazing. And then it ends with this in verse 26. Then news of this spread throughout the whole area. I think we tend to complicate Christianity. I really do. Like, play a game with me. Like, let's just imagine together. What if the news of what you've seen God do what if it's spread throughout this entire area? I'm not asking you whether or not people believes it or believe it. I'm just saying, like, just, just you. What if this entire area, just the ways that you've seen Jesus impact your life and the lives around, the people around you in fairly, in fairly important and profound ways? What if just that stuff? What if the whole region... Let that news spread through the, this whole area. I want you to see, like, God does things differently, guys. He's not looking for, like, guerrilla marketing. He's not looking for these brilliant ads. He's not looking for that. I'm not opposed to that, necessarily. I remember there were some ads in the Super Bowl, like, what was it, last year? I thought they were, they were brilliant. But I want you to see the chain reaction that starts here, right? Just go with the flow with me for just a second. I want you to see what happens. Zoom out from this passage. God does incredible things. Can we agree on that? Right? Specific incredible things. He does them. Right? The witnesses of those incredible things, whether it happened to them or it happened to their friend or it happened to their neighbor, right? The witnesses, what happens is they then spread the word about what he's done with other people. That's what happened with the bleeding woman. She heard. 
right? A friend cared enough about her to tell her. Have you heard about Jesus? I think he can help with this. I've seen him do it. I'm a witness, right? So the, the witnesses, they spread the word about what he's done with other people. Those people then seek Jesus out. That's the goal. It's not to convince them. It's not to, here's the theology you have to believe. No, 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 no. They, those people, they hear about it. They then seek Jesus out. They witness him do incredible things. And then they spread the word about what he's done with other people. And then those other people, they encounter it. They seek Jesus out. They encounter it. Then they witness to, you see the chain reaction that happens here. Are you with me? Jesus doesn't need world-class marketing. All he needs is a witness. I'm out of time. Um, Band, will you guys come up? Prayer team, will you guys come up to you, please? Jesus is interruptible. Jesus, there's no limit to his power. And these people sought Jesus out because someone told them about Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 11, Uh, the writer, he speaks of a reward. It's verse six. He speaks of a reward. And it says, there's a reward for people who diligently seek God. That's what we saw here with the bleeding woman. That's what we saw here with Jairus. I mean, they're diligently seeking Jesus out. Now, is the reward miraculous healing in an instant? Sometimes, right? Sometimes it is, but not every time. Jesus doesn't always heal, but he always helps. And then in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus makes a promise. And it's a spectacular one. It's an incredible promise. He says, those who seek him will find him. Think about that. Here's what I want us to know. I want us to know this is true for you and this is true for every single person in your life. Those who seek Jesus, they will find him. Those who diligently seek him, there is a reward and it's promised. Those who seek Jesus will find him. So we talk about this idea of witnessing. Right? The goal in witnessing to other people about Jesus is simply that they would seek him out. Just like what happened in the passage. For those of you guys that joined us a couple few Sundays back or weekends back, we, we, we gathered for the, the Restored Family of Churches retreat. And it really was a profound time. Um, that Saturday night was especially profound. Like, the presence of God was tangible. It was remarkable. It was 
comforting and beautiful and challenging and all these things. And, and one of the things that I'm convinced of from that Saturday night, and we talked about it that night, was God's desire. And specifically his desire to pour out a spirit of evangelism on our churches, on his people. And I'm just convinced, guys. I'm already hearing really beautiful reports of things that have come out of that, like people that are sharing about Jesus in, in radical, awesome ways. But hear me, not like world-class marketing. No, it doesn't necessarily look like world-class marketing. It looks like you and like me living as witnesses in normal, everyday encounters with people. And so maybe you're here today and there's people in your life that you, that you love, that you care about, that, that, that need Jesus. Can I just ask you, maybe you already are beautiful, but if you're not, what's keeping you from witnessing to them? What's keeping you from just simply saying, like, I don't have all the answers, I'm not an expert theologian, but like, have you heard about Jesus? He can help with that. I've seen him do it. If that's you, I wanna, I wanna invite you this morning. Come receive prayer. Maybe just maybe God wants to free you some things, free you from some things, I should say, that are keeping you from just simply living as a witness. Or maybe you're different. Maybe you're in a different spot this morning. Maybe you're here today and you need Jesus. Like Jairus needed Jesus. Or like the bleeding woman needed Jesus. Or dare I even say like Jairus' daughter needed Jesus. If that's you, I want to invite you before this morning comes to a close, please come receive prayer. Have you heard about Jesus? He can help with whatever you're experiencing. I've seen him do it over and over and over again. And he always, through his spirit, does it through a human being. Jesus included. And this room is full of human beings, filled with God's spirit, who are capable of posturing themselves in humility and going, God, what do you desire to do? God wants to minister to some of us this morning in a really profound, personal way. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Let me pray for us. Will you stand if you're able? Just a moment. Settle in. This is not a time to drift away. This is a time to press in.
God, thank you that your desire is to help. Your desire is to help in small ways and in massive ways. Your desire is to help or you wouldn't have given yourself the name helper. I pray for each of us in the room, especially me, that you would provide the freedom that we need. You already have provided it through your blood, your perfect sacrifice, your passionate devotion to us. You've already provided what we need to step away from the fear of being a witness. I don't have it all together. I don't know all the answers. I'm not the world's greatest theologian. I don't know all the questions, all the answers to the questions. I just feel so simply, God, you're like, I don't need your marketing. I'm looking for a witness. You're not looking to hire a marketing agency. That's not what the church is. It has been in different seasons and it's gotten us into trouble. You've called the church to be those who refer people to you, to your presence, not just your principles. Would you help us to do that, Father? Would you, right now, I just pray, Holy Spirit, and I pray in the name of Jesus that you qualify every single man, woman, and child in the room who doesn't wanna um, forfeit their role as a witness in the kingdom of God. I feel like even right now, the Spirit wants to deposit something. If you want that, would you just put your hands out in front of you? As just an act of faith. And if you don't want to, it's fine. There's no judgment here. But there's something that God wants to deposit in his people. And when we come to him in humility and faith, faith is trusting in him. It's trust displayed through action. When you go like, hey, Lord, I actually want to receive that spirit of evangelism. Not a spirit of, of brilliant marketing, a spirit of witnessing, of just letting people know, here's what, I, here's what I've seen him do. He can help. And so, Father, I just pray right now, in the name of Jesus, you would honor every single person who's, who's going, God, I want you to qualify me in this. I want you to fill me with faith in this and trust. I don't have to have all the answers, but I can point people to the one who does. I can refer them to the doctor when they're in need, the counselor when they're in need, the helper when they're in need. What a tremendous act of love. I feel you leading us in this, Father, and I thank you for it. I feel you guiding us in this. I feel like it's your desire more than it's anybody's in the room. And so I ask you to help us with this and free anybody in the room who feels condemned or feels shame because they haven't been a good enough, quote unquote, witness. No, no. Thank you that you want to renew all things, especially that. So we love you, Jesus, and we look to you to guide us you can help. Thank you that that's true. And we say it together, amen.